The Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join avid historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. Hello, I'm Troy Smith, and you're listening to Mountain True, a true historical tales from the Upper Cumberland. I am an associate professor of history at Tennessee Tech and uh, also a, a native of the Upper Cumberland region. I was born and raised in Sparta, but I've worked many years in Cookville and I worked for many years in Crossville. So I think in some ways of the, uh, the whole region as, as home. And I'm happy to be able to share with you some, some tales from the past. Today... I'm going to be talking about uh, a Confederate guerrilla from the Civil War, uh, and not the one I usually talk about. I have uh, written quite extensively and spoken quite a bit about Champ Ferguson from White County, but today I'm going to be talking about someone else. I'm going to be talking about Pomp Kersey from actually uh, the Short Mountain region. Uh, actually, he was from Cannon County. But most of his activity took place in DeKalb County during the Civil War. First, I want to uh, give out some some acknowledgments. My uh, initial knowledge about Pomp Kersey came, oh, many years ago when I was an undergrad at Tennessee Tech from Dr. Michael Birdwell. And also um, what I've been able to, to put together has been greatly augmented by work from a DeKalb County historian, Thomas Gray Webb, um, who uh, in particular had uh, uh, written about Pomp in a book about the uh, bicentennial uh, thing about the history of DeKalb County, and from Cannon County, Joe Davenport. There's also a, uh, a book called Cannon County that was published by Memphis State University Press in 1982 that's very helpful in this. All right, well... First of all, a little background, which most of you, I'm sure, are already familiar with. Civil War was, as they used to say, rough times, uh, particularly around here because, well, here and other uh, quote-unquote border areas, uh, which is to say in the Upper South, because there was quite a bit of division on the home front. You know, here in the uh, Upper Cumberland, for example, the farther east you went, the more likely you were to find a strong amount of pro-Union support. Farther west that you went, the more pro-Confederate. But either way, there were some people of each. Um, there was some, some division, and this led to uh, a lot of violence, not just between military units, but often among civilians and among what are called irregular partisans or guerrillas, and in some cases, bushwhackers. And Pomp Kersey was uh, the leader of, by comparison, a, a relatively small band compared to those led by people like uh, Champ Ferguson. Um, around 10 to 15 people usually uh, rode with Pomp Kersey. His real name was Hiram Taylor Kersey. He was born in 1847. Uh, his mother had long been widowed by the time the war started. 
And if you do the math and you know the war started in 1861, you'll know he wasn't very old. In fact, he was uh, not quite not quite 14 years old when the Civil War started. He had uh, gained the nickname Pomp, and that's how most people knew him. And we'll actually, we'll talk about that name a little bit later. Well, at the age of 13, he joined the 16th Confederate Infantry, along with his older brother and two cousins. Um, that, uh, that regiment, over the next couple of years, fought at the Battle of Perryville, which is a pretty big battle up in uh, Kentucky, and also the Battle of Murfreesboro. Both of Pomp's cousins wound up being killed. A um, couple of years into the war, uh, there was a significant change in how how Pomp was was approaching the conflict. He wrote a couple of letters home on May the twenty fourth, eighteen sixty three, one to his mother, Margaret Kersey, and one to a friend of his named Rich, essentially telling them that. Uh, he was going to be home soon. Well, did he have some sort of psychic premonition that the war was over? No, but he did have a pretty good premonition that his part in the official military was over. Uh, but we'll get to that. So I have here the text, first of all, of his letter to his mother. Dear mother, when I know that you are well and doing well, I'm satisfied for I care that nobody else. I care for nobody else but you. All my labor and privations and hardships are to make you comfortable in your old age. I'm looking forward to the time when I shall see you enjoy all the necessary comforts and pleasures of this earth, and I'm in hopes I'll be in a coming day with you and be able to still assist and aid you in your troubles and cheer you in your old age. I understand that you bought a farm, and I'm glad you've done so, for I had no other use for my money. And should it so happen that I never get to come home, You'll have a home where you can live unmolested. Mother, I want you to write to me as soon as you receive this letter and let me know how everything is going on. I have no news to write you. We have bad news from Mississippi. And that's how he spelled it, Mississippi. I will send you $15 in this letter. And if you need any more, just let me know and I'll send you more. Be sure and write to me some more. I remain your son forever. H.T. Kersey to his mother, Margaret Kersey. Well, first of all, uh, this letter kind of uh, gives you the idea that if you've ever uh, if you've ever seen the remake to 310 to Yuma with Russell Crowe, where he had that famous line, even outlaws love their mama, uh, that that was the case with with Pomp. He was very concerned about his about his mother and reading this letter. You wouldn't really get an idea that he was any different from any other young soldier on the same day, though. He wrote a letter to his friend Rich in which he said, Dear old friend Rich, I'm well and enjoying all the pleasures of this life. I have plenty of money to spend for anything I want. I have for the last month had the finest time with the young ladies you ever saw. I visited a place where they had the finest kind of instrumental music performed by a natural actress. She acted well on the piano and I think she will act well almost any other way. Rich, I have a great many good things to tell you, but I've not got time to tell them now. But I want you to save a two-gallon jug full of good whiskey and rob the bees, for I intend to come home in a few days. I'll be at home by the time these letters gets home. 
and I want you to attend and have all things so we can take a big spree out in the flat woods. Rich, I'm in the notion to take one big bust before long. I'll be sure to be at home, so I'll come to a close. I remain yours most truly forever, H.T. Kersey. And sure enough, within a few days, uh, Kersey was back home and did not return to his military unit. Now, um, there are a couple of different explanations that have been given by the, about this, and it's important to note that when it comes to homegrown guerrillas of the Civil War, still today, 150 years later, people's opinions tend to be colored uh, often by their, by their sympathies. So to this day, if you ask some people why did uh, Pomp Kersey leave his military unit and come back home, some people would say it was to protect his family because already by that time the Union Army had been seizing property from people in the area that they suspected of being pro-Confederate, particularly due to the uh, activities of the aforementioned Champ Ferguson over in White County. The belief that many of the citizens were sympathetic toward him and perhaps even helping him uh, led uh, various things to happen. For example, martial law was briefly declared in Sparta. And it is said that... uh, Union soldiers came and took a bunch of stuff from Pomp's mama's house. That made him, that made him angry. Uh, that he and several of his friends returned home for roughly that same reason. There is, of course, an alternative explanation. That is, they deserted uh, either because they uh, were tired of being shot at or because they were tired of military discipline. And then a, a possible third explanation is that due to the fact when Pomp Kersey came home, he did, as I mentioned, have some other friends around his age who also deserted and came back into the area and gathered around him um, roughly about a dozen at any given time, all of them in their mid-teens, and all of them involved in some very violent activities when they got home. Um some people might say uh, in modern context they were a bunch of juvenile delinquents, uh, a gang, as it were. Uh, others, uh, of course, said that they were there, like I said, to, to protect the loyal Southerners from Union depredations. Pomp himself and uh, a, uh, a contemporary of his, also from the Short Mountain area named Jack Neely, who was about the same age, uh, they each actually raised a, a gang uh, that acted sometimes independently of one another and sometimes came together. Uh, Neely had been from uh, a different military unit, but both he and Pomp told people that they had been given secret permission, actually secret orders from their captains to come back home and form guerrilla units as sort of a home guard to protect against the Federals. Which, you know, if you stop and think about it, uh, I, I, I don't find it real likely that they would send a bunch of 15-year-olds uh, for that particular mission. But uh, that's what they were telling people anyhow. Uh, they came to be known as the Short Mountain Boys. 
they had uh, at least one person with them. Actually, they had several people that we know of from other areas. There were a couple of brothers from Murfreesboro. Uh, There was a guy named Ike Gleason from Sparta. Jack Neely, uh, whom I mentioned before, who sometimes operated in a separate band. Sometimes he was kind of like the second in command with with Pomp or or a partner, uh, if you will. He had a reputation for being extremely violent. It was said that he had sworn that uh, he would kill a hundred Yankees for vengeance for his older brother who had been killed in the war already at that point. Either way, um, they were involved, like I said, in some pretty violent incidents. Now, initially, those violent incidents were directed at pro-union people in uh, DeKalb County in particular. And, well, uh, sort of, uh, there were concentrations of pro-union and pro-Confederate sentiment across DeKalb County. Uh, Most people... Not all, but most in the uh, in Smithville and around there, uh, or as as we pronounce it, Smithville. Uh, most of them were pro-Confederate, but if you got out toward Liberty, um, uh, there were a large number of people who were pro-Union. And Alexandria, uh, Alexandria was uh, the uh, the home and home base of William Brickley Stokes, who had been a legislator, a state legislator for years before the war and had even served in Congress for a couple of years before the war broke out and who, when the war started, organized a, uh, a cavalry regiment for the Union Army. So he was the lieutenant colonel of the 5th uh, Union Tennessee Cavalry, which had a lot of members, a lot of members from actually at least two full companies full of people from DeKalb County. And there were DeKalb County people scattered throughout several of the other 10 companies. So several hundred people, probably from DeKalb County, had volunteered to serve uh, the Union Army with Colonel Stokes. So that kind of demonstrates the range that there was. Well, initially, the Short Mountain Boys, like I said, they were attacking pro-Union people uh, in Liberty, where they were really easy to find. Uh, and in Smithville, where there weren't as many of them, but they did stand out more. Um, however, their activities were not limited to pro-union people. That was sort of the uh, cover story, but that's not how it worked. They wound up essentially attacking anybody, no matter what their uh, political or nationalistic stance was, who might have stuff they wanted. So they uh, they were known to attack pro-Confederate families as well. There were, uh, there were shootings. Uh, one man was, was killed, shot through his door. Uh, another man was reportedly killed by uh, Jack Neely while he was tending to his hogs. Uh, there were at least a couple of occasions where they burst into people's homes, sort of like a uh, home invasion, as they would call it now, and choked the people uh, until they uh, told where their money was. And then I guess they gave them a chance to make some more money, and they came back to the same houses and choked them some more later. Uh, on one occasion, they uh, took uh, a, a man's uh, wife and put a noose around her neck and hoisted it up over a tree limb and essentially were in the act of hanging her until he uh, gave in and told them where the money was. 
Well, depending on, uh, I guess, maybe who you talk to today and what their feelings are about that time period, you will get still the idea that uh, either, and this is kind of similar to Champ Ferguson over in Sparta, either people were thinking of him then and continued to think of him as a Confederate patriot or as a brutal thug that nobody liked and nobody wanted around. Uh, And it really leaned a lot more toward the latter. The uh, life and adventures of the short mountain gang led by Pomp Kersey were short-lived. They were only uh, they were only on the scene and at large for about a year, a little over a year, and it all came to an end in July 1864. The beginning of the end took place at uh, the home of a pro-Union man named Dennis on Canal Creek, or Cannell Creek. Now, the story, uh, as I'm about to lay it out for you, I'm going to lay it out two or three different ways because there are different perspectives and different versions, and the truth lies somewhere beyond what some of the official reporting of the time was. So bear that in mind. First, uh, to sort of lay out the scenario, this man, Dennis, was having a party, having a party at his house. And I'll go ahead and mention this was not the first such party. He regularly held parties where a lot of the young people in the community would come. Uh, In this particular case, there were several union men. And again, the term Men is, is relative because many of them were around the same age as Pomp Kersey in their mid to late teens, uh, who were there uh, at this all-night party and dance uh, where there was plenty to drink, uh, having a good time. Many of the uh, people there were actually Union soldiers. Many of them were, in fact, from Colonel Stokes's 5th United States Cavalry. Some of them were from uh, Colonel Blackburn's uh, 4th Union Mounted Infantry. Uh, Some of them were maybe on leave. Several of them were AWOL. Uh, They sneaked off uh, to get back to their home base and uh, attend this party. And again, these parties were held regularly. Among those who were there, and by the way, all of them weren't soldiers. Uh, Some of them were just local youths who were not enlisted in either army, uh, but they included uh, Henry Blackburn, who was perhaps a brother or a cousin of the uh, aforementioned Colonel Blackburn of the 4th. Colonel Blackburn was only 22 years old. Uh, Colonel Blackburn is the one who officially captured Champ Ferguson at the end of the war. Also, Bill Hathaway, Lewis Lyles, Daniel Gann, all of them Union soldiers, and a young lieutenant named Thomas B. Bratton, who was actually just one month older than Pomp Kersey. He was 16 years old. Uh, one newspaper account from the time listed him as 26. Other sources say that he was uh, just slightly older than Kersey. There were some other people there who were not soldiers, as I mentioned, including a guy named uh, Jim Clark, uh, who was... Uh, 
about the same age, in his mid-teens, and someone a little bit younger than the others named John Overall, who was apparently a talented young man because he was uh, doing the fiddling for the party. Well, that's kind of laying the, the groundwork. Uh, just a kind of spoiler alert, the party gets, uh, um, party gets crashed by, by Pomp Kersey. And Bratton, who was the, uh, the young soldier who was about the same age as Kersey, uh, he gave a description of the party. So I'm going to read this description he gave. And bear in mind, uh, this is his version of what happened. We had several interesting rustic beauties there. All were having a fine time. Not many of us got sleepy, but three went to the barn and in the loft and were soon dreaming. And Hathaway went to the side room and went to sleep. We didn't have much fear of an attack as we never dreamed that an enemy was near. John Overall was fiddling for us. About 10 o'clock, we afterwards learned, Pomp Kersey, the captain of the Short Mountain Bushwhackers, came into the yard to see how strong we were. But Lewis Lyles and Jim Clark coming up the creek just then, shouting and shooting as wild boys will do, doubtless scared him away for the time. At another time, when one of the soldiers stepped out and fired his pistol, he thought he saw a man out in the corn, but paid no particular attention to him. I'm going to digress from the account here just to, just to make note. This is interesting. This is how wild boys do. A soldier went out and started shooting his gun, and then afterwards thought maybe he had seen somebody. So he wasn't particularly shooting his gun because he was shooting at somebody. He was just shooting it, apparently. Anyway. Uh, just before day, I sat down on the stair steps with my Spencer rifle leaning against the wall. The fiddler was playing 8th of January, and the strains rang musically through the room. I had not been there long before I heard several rifle shots. Every man in the house looked up, suddenly turning white with fear. For a moment, all was still. The clock ticked loudly. The snoring of a sleeping man in an adjoining room could be plainly distinguished. One of the soldier's horses tied out in the yard nickered lonesomely. Then, all of a sudden, the three persons who had been in the barn came bursting through the house as if Satan was after them. Some of the girls hurried and tried to wake Hathaway, but he was hard to arouse. After giving him a shake, I rushed to my horse, put spurs to him, and started toward Liberty. Some other soldiers were out in the road and got their horses as I got mine. As we turned into the branch that led to the road, behold, Pomp Kersey's uh, gang, or a part of it, was standing right between us and town. But spurring our steeds, we pressed through them, and, and here we went, helter-skelter. We checked at the forks of the creek, about where the mill is at Gassaway. We noticed that all of our men were there, but Hathaway and Clark. I noticed also that my coat, which was a blouse, had seven holes in the tail. Presently, we heard horse hoofs beating over stones, and Hathaway soon hove in sight. His hat was lost, and his hair was flying in the wind, as he said, Boys, I feel like I was just out of the mouth of hell. He said that Clark was behind a tree, keeping the gang of twelve at bay. We thought of going to his relief, but knew it meant destruction. Clark was killed fighting to the last. John Overall, the fiddler, who was very young, had his fiddle broken over the, the rail fence and told to keep out of such bad company. 
Well, those soldiers, Bratton and the others, uh, made their way then to Liberty to get some reinforcements. Remember, there's a lot of uh, Union men in Liberty. And then they headed toward Short Mountain in the direction the uh, the gang of, of 12 had gone. Pomp and his gang, his, his band, had stopped at a farm along the way, headed toward Short Mountain, and they had taken several oat bundles to feed their horses. The federal uh, men, or, well, boys and men, were able to track them by the fallen oats that were left along the trail. And also, they kind of got an idea that they were getting close when they encountered a little boy walking along with a basket uh, that was uh, covered with a, um, uh, a rag of some sort, and they asked him what he was doing, and he said he was taking Uncle Pomp and Mr. Neely something to eat. So uh, that kind of gave the game away for Uncle Pomp. Well, the, uh, the Union men found the Short Mountain Boys sleeping in a thicket. One of, uh, one of the gang, and apparently uh, they'd started off with 12, but a couple of them must have broken away because there's about 10 at this point. One of the gang, a man named Seals, heard the Union men coming and he tried to wake up his companions but he he couldn't get them uh, he couldn't get them awake in time and so he decided to beat a hasty retreat and he ran away two others CJ Hawkins and uh the Sparta guy Ike Gleason they had been sleeping a little bit farther off from the main band uh maybe they were bad for snoring or something if so it was lucky for them uh because they weren't there with the main group and they also were able to slip away that left seven in the main group sleeping there in the woods. The Union men opened fire on them, killing five of them in the first volley, including Neely. And that left only two standing, Pomp and one other fella. Uh, the other guy was killed as he tried to run away, shot simultaneously by Daniel Gann and Bill Hathaway. Pomp was unable to uh, unable to get his horse's halter untied. He was desperately trying to get into the saddle, so that clearly wasn't going to work. Um, Bratton fired his rifle directly at Pomp's back, but the uh, the weapon misfired. Pomp then spun around, uh, attempting to draw his sidearm, but he never cleared the holster. He was uh, shot by both Bratton and Hathaway. From the, uh, the side of the Unionists, uh, one person was wounded. Daniel Gann had a rifle bullet in his thigh. So, long story short, the, the Union men got the drop on them, and that was pretty much it, uh, except for the three who managed to get away. Of the seven bodies, they were stripped naked and piled into an open cart and slowly taken toward town where they were put on uh, display. One resident named Mary Reams later said, I've heard those that saw it say it was a gruesome sight, the hot July morning sun on those dead bodies, their legs and arms hanging nearly to the ground. Saddest of all the mothers and sisters of the boys follow in the cart, begging for the bodies of their loved ones. Heedless, the cart went on. It reached liberty about sunset, 
The bodies were thrown into a vacant storeroom and buried the next day on the Daniel Smith farm north of the bridge. There was, uh, there was a song uh, written uh, about it, uh, which uh, the, uh, the melody has, has been lost to us. Uh, and actually, the words have been lost to us. I thought I had them uh, attached here, but you can find it uh, easy enough, probably online. Um, so they were all basically dumped naked into this open grave, uh, and, and it was filled in. When the war was over, Pop's family uh, dug him back up, and I assume that it's quite probable that the other, uh, the the other short mountain gang members were uh, dug up by their families as well and reburied closer to home. Pomp was buried at uh, Melton Cemetery, not far from Short Mountain, and carved into his stone. His family had uh, had this information: he died for his country. H.T. Kersey, born November 13, 1847, joined the Confederate Army May 1861, associated himself with a Tennessee guerrilla band August 1863, and was murdered near Short Mountain July 24, 1864. Well, as I said earlier, it kind of all depends on your perspective, uh, particularly as to whether or not... uh, disqualified as as murder or an act of war and whether uh, he was a patriotic guardian of the community as his family chose to believe. An alternative uh, perspective was offered by a Nashville newspaper uh, at the time, the uh, Daily Times and True Union, which had this to say on July 28, 1864. The headline said, Brutal murder by guerrillas in DeKalb. Gallant conduct of Lieutenant Blackburn. Death of two notorious cutthroats, Kersey and Neely. Uh, and uh, I'll read the uh, short article to you. It said, A most shocking and wanton murder was committed a few days ago by a party of, quote, Southern chivalry under the lead of two great scoundrels, Pomp Kersey and Neely on the waters of Clear Fork a few miles above Liberty in DeKalb County. The guerrillas went to a house where a young Mr. Clark, son of one of our well-known citizens, was staying, dragged him out, and shot him to pieces. Young Clark's sole offense was that he was a strong union man, and that was enough to arouse the malice of the hellhounds. On the following day, around the 26th, Lieutenant Blackburn, a well-known and brave young officer, formerly of Stokes Cavalry, but now commanding an independent company, started in pursuit of the guerrillas, overtook them, and killed seven of the twelve who composed the party, among whom were the two headmen, Pomp Kersey and Neely, whose depredations and villainies of all sorts have long made them the terror of the county. Lieutenant Blackburn piled the seven bodies in a wagon and hauled them off towards Liberty. The sister of Kersey went to him and asked for the body to bury it, but Lieutenant Blackburn sent her word that he intended to show the bodies to the rebels in Liberty to warn them of the fate which awaited all friends and protectors of guerrillas. So, uh, still speaking of it as a a murder situation, uh, but not quite in the same way as Kersey's headstone, commissioned by his family, did. Well, there is still one interesting take on this whole story, something that adds an entire new dimension 
uh, to how how we look at it. This is a quote from the book that I mentioned earlier, The uh, History of Cannon County, uh, published by Memphis State University Press. Uh, the quote uh, says that in spite of the murders and rapacities committed by these two bands against each other and others, they sometimes, almost by unspoken truce, attended the same dance given at a dentist house on Cannell Creek, both rebel and Yankee sympathizers and bushwhackers dancing together, in uniform and out, until daybreak. Beardless Pomp Kersey is said to have attended one of these dances dressed as a girl, and to have danced with his archenemy Will Hathaway, who was much taken with the supposed maiden's charm. I remember hearing a version of that story about 20 years ago um, and wasn't sure you know, exactly where it had come from. But apparently, uh, apparently it was, in fact, the case that Dennis, who uh, apparently was an all around popular guy, uh, by the way, my mama's people were were Dennis's and uh, we all like to have a good time, too. Uh, maybe he was a relative anyway. Um, he put on such a good party, I guess, that uh, both Union and Confederate people alike would mix together sometimes at these at these events. And apparently, uh, Pomp Kersey, who was a smooth-faced uh, 15-year-old, maybe 15 or 16 at the time, uh, actually uh, came to the dance uh, in drag, uh, dressed disguised as as a girl and according to according to the story actually fooled will hathaway uh who danced with him and was quite taken with him um that's one explanation um historian james b jones jr who is one of the more eminent tennessee historians really uh one of the top state historians uh he said about this uh, quote, it may not be going too far to suggest that one or both of the men, that is, uh, Pomp and uh, Hathaway, were gay. In fact, you know, that could be the, uh, the source of uh, Hiram Kersey's nickname, Pomp, as in Pomp and Circumstance, as in uh, the uh, dictionary definition being uh, for Pomp, ostentatious vanity. And that is a story that is kind of uh, kind of stuck around down through the years, again, depending on who you talk to. I mean, there would be some people who perhaps view Pomp Kersey as the ultimate in Southern young manhood, protecting, uh, protecting people from the uh, depredations of the horrible Union invaders uh, who probably uh, in, in many cases would. Uh, down through the uh, down through the decades, have resisted this type of description of him. Nonetheless, there it is, and I uh, <clears throat> I've had the understanding for for many years that there have been some in the LGBTQ community in Middle Tennessee who have uh, looked to Pomp Kersey as uh, a a an early representative certainly not the best representative unless it's from the point of view of being a really uh you know tough individual however however you look at it uh, whatever the the ultimate truth is it definitely seems that there's more going on uh than was uh 
that was written uh, in the uh, immediate accounts uh, during the Civil War. Um, I like to say that things were very complex in this area during the war, uh, but uh, Pomp Kersey and this whole situation, how, however it may have played out, uh, gives, well, it gives support to, to certainly that idea, at least. It was complicated. It's kind of like a Facebook relationship, I suppose, uh, which, now that I mention it, uh, it really is curious, the connection between Kersey and Hathaway. You'll remember, Hathaway's one of the people that shot him, uh, was that, um, well, we can we can really only speculate uh, about what feeling may have existed, uh, whether there was anger on the part of Hathaway for having been tricked, or if you know it wasn't a matter of of being tricked, what may have been going on. I don't suppose that uh, there's any way for us to know for sure, but we do know we do know for sure that uh, times were rough, and times were also more complicated, perhaps than historical memory has led us to believe. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.